You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. We are in our series, The Way of Jesus, and uh, we have been looking at what is, or as I've said before, most of the time people ask the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would, he, what would Jesus do here? You know, you have something come up in your life, and so you're like, what would Jesus do? So you kind of go in the Bible, and you look for the word college, don't find it in there, or you go look for a job, and it's not really in there, and so you're like, okay, this doesn't really help. And so what we're trying to do is instead of saying what would Jesus do in order for you to figure out what to do in your life, how your life should be lived, or so on and so forth, instead that you would ask the question, what has Jesus done? What were the practices that Jesus had in his life that nobody saw that then led to his ability to go to the desert and be tempted by Satan himself and yet come out unscathed. To go to the cross with joy set before him and be willing to endure shame and scorn where most of us would have been dying to say we're innocent, we're innocent, we're innocent, yet he was silent and he didn't say a word. And so how did Jesus do this? What did he do when nobody was looking? This is what we're looking at in this series and so what we're looking at is the habits of Jesus. The, what were his disciplines? What were his spiritual disciplines? What were the you know, habits of grace is what some people would call them. And so we talked about prayer. We talked about fasting. And if you want to go back on our website, you can go listen to those sermons. But this week was supposed to be about silence and solitude is what we were going to talk about. But as I was praying and trying to figure out, I was like, you know, I feel like we need to go back and talk about a little bit more about sanctification. Because the first week that we did this, I said that when we talk about sanctification, how it's this idea that God every single day is making us more and more like Jesus. That God is using every circumstance, every moment, everything that we go through has a purpose. And so we trust that. And so because of that, we trust that no matter what we go through, it is in God's perfect plan because we know at the end of the day, he is trying to make us more like Jesus and not more like what we think we should be like, look like. And so in that, I mentioned Philippians 1.6, where it says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we, we learned that our salvation wasn't started by us. Us being saved isn't being kept by us, but instead, God is keeping us all the way until that day of Christ Jesus when our sanctification will be complete, where we will be presented blameless, is what the Bible tells us. And so, God has us. And this is good news. This is really good stuff, right? Is that on our worst days, we trust that God is still with us and still loves us and is still working in us. And so, what I want to talk about today, though, is what are the pitfalls, potentially, that we can fall into if we don't fully understand what Jesus did for us and what he's calling us to do. So sanctification is true and is happening, but you see there's a different part. There's pitfalls that if you're not careful, you'll fall into. And, and, you know, and I'll, I'll mention it one right now is for most people is that they think because Christ has me and because Christ paid for all my sins, then it's okay, well, let me live however I want, right? And then let me do whatever I want. And so it's like Christ gave us a license to do whatever we want. Why? Because his grace covers us. That's what we think we hear in church, 
right? That's what we've come subconsciously, I believe, to believe a lot of our lives is, oh, it's no big deal because Christ paid for it, so it's just one time. It's just one thing, right? And that's a scary place to be. So let's look at what Jesus did for us in our faith, our sanctification. So Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And at, in the Christian life, our faith is everything, right? If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And so we see right away that our faith was a gift from God, not because of our works. And so it was something given to us by God. It's the reason we can pursue God is because of the faith he gave us. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it tells us this. That now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So it is by faith that we have assurance of things hoped for. So what is the author talking about, right? When, you, when you're reading the Bible, you can be very, it's a, it's a very scary game to just grab a text, grab a verse, and you can take it completely out of context, right? You can just grab it and say, you know what, this sounds good. I'm going to use it however I want because the Bible is true, and so I trust that. So any verse can mean anything I want when that's not the case at all, right? You have to be very careful in your Bible reading that you understand the context. So what is he saying? What is this assurance that the author of Hebrews is talking about. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. So this is where, so if you can go to your Bible right now, the Bible around you, go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be jumping all over the place on chapter 10. So I want you to follow along and see it for yourself. So find somewhere, I'll give you a little bit of time to get to it. Hebrews chapter 10. If you have to use table of contents, go for it. You know, it's very helpful. So Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give you all about five seconds. All right, so, I know, you're probably like, that was three. It's all right, I'm still waiting. All right, so, in chapter 10, the beginning, so, we're not going to read every verse, but, so, verses 1 through, 1 through 4, 1 through 8, or 1 through 7 is, what he's talking about is, the author is saying, hey, the law that the Israelites once had, it required that there were animal sacrifices for sins. So, in order for sins to be atoned for, in order for them to be right with God, they had to have animal sacrifices. And so, it talks about how every single year they had to make the same sacrifices over and over and over. And in verse 4, it tells us, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So, these sacrifices, the author is telling us, never took away the sins never took them fully away whatsoever, is that they were temporary. They were like a placehold. The law was perfect. The problem was us. So let's keep going. So then in verses 5 through 10, it's talking about how then Christ came into the world, and Christ himself saying, sacrifices you have not required, but instead... I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll. So then Jesus is saying, okay, I am here to then take away or to, be, to, to come with something new, right? There was nothing wrong with the old. The, the issue was us. So Christ came in to bring in something new. And so in verse 10, if you scroll down to verse 10 or flip over to verse 10, it says, 
in that we, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we see right here that our sanctification through Christ, this assurance, these things that we're holding on to, is that we have been sanctified once for all, meaning it is done, right? We are sanctified, but let's keep reading. And so it says, every, but when, so, and every priest stands daily at his service, verse 11, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And then check this out, verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we'll get to that. Just remember that. Verse 10 says we are sanctified, but verse 14 says we are being sanctified. So how do these work? Let's keep going. So then we go to verse 15. It says, and the Holy Spirit bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So we understand the writer of Hebrews is telling us, once for all, sin has been paid for on the cross. No more sacrifices, no more anything like that is needed, but Christ once for all, paid for our sins, and we are sanctified. And yet, remember, I'll explain it, but we are being sanctified as well. And so, let's, so now, let's scroll down to verse, let's go to verse 36, or verse 35. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Right? The promise is talking about this eternal life. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But I love this verse, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we see in this, right, we are not those who shrink back. We must endure in this Christian life is that we who are sanctified are also being sanctified because Christ paid for our sins once and for all, no longer any more sacrifices needed. Past sins, present sins, future sins, Christ paid for all of them, which is amazing news, right? This is great news. All your sins, every single one that you think you don't deserve to be here today, Christ took upon his back on his shoulders and he died for those sins. So then let's go back to Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 3. It says, he tell, or, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So this is our assurance. We have faith that our good works in this life, that our, what we think we should be doing, that our good morals, that the way that we live are not enough is what we're saying. We have faith that Jesus did everything that needed to be done for us to be saved. And so now we just have to have faith and believe in him. And what he did, that all our sins are paid for, and then be sanctified and understand that we are sanctified. And so what's hoped for? Jesus coming back. 
that we live knowing Jesus died once for all. What's hoped for is that our confidence in God has a great reward, that it will be worth living this life God calls us to live, that we have a better possession in Hebrews 10, you can go back and read later, that he says we have a better possession waiting for us in heaven. We think we have dreams and things of what we have here are going to be great. We have a better possession waiting for us, a better body, a better mind, a better you fill in the blank. It's better going, it's going to be better one day. And then lastly, we have confidence to enter the holy place of God. Why? Because once for all, he paid for all of our sins. And where there's forgiveness of sins, there's no longer any offering. And so let's go to the contradiction, what seems like a contradiction. But what you need to understand is this. The Bible never contradicts itself. It's merely our understanding of the text is off. So verse 10 says we are sanctified, meaning complete, done. And yet we have verse 14 that says we are being sanctified. So how do these go together? You see, the the Christian life is based on this beautiful assurance of Philippians, right? That he who began a good work in you will see it into completion. That you see these things in, in Hebrews that it is once for all, all our sins are paid for. And we have this assurance and there's so many promises of an imperishable seed and of riches waiting for us and storing up riches in heaven. There's so many good things in the Christian life that it's This is what we're hoping for. This is what we're trusting, that every single day we pursue Christ, it's going to be for this eternal reward in heaven. No more sacrifices. And even though all of those are there and they're true, it doesn't negate our responsibility to follow Jesus, to pursue holiness, to kill sin, and to die to ourselves and the things of this world. And that's how they go together is that in one way, with the way that God looks at us, we are sanctified, justified, glorified in God's eyes through Jesus Christ, not our own doing, but yet day in and day out, we are being sanctified by our following Jesus, pursuing holiness, killing sin in our life. Obedience is the means by which God is sanctifying us. And obedience, even in the midst of trials, because it's easy to obey God when life is good, it's difficult to obey God when life is hard. It's very difficult to obey God when life is hard, when there seems to be an easier way out, but we know God is with us. And so this is what sets us apart, is that we are sanctified in God's eyes through faith in Jesus, yes, but God uses our obedience to bring about the sanctification. This is why in John 14, verse 15, Jesus tells us this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 3, it says this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 tells us this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning hold on to that hope. But as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, your old self. But instead, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
So we see this is what Christ is calling us to, is that yes, we, our sins are paid for. We are being sanctified. We are sanctified, justified, glorified, and we hold on to that. But that is our foundation by which we now obey, right? I mentioned that is that our obedience is the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. So we must obey because it should come natural now. Our desires should be different because we are created new. We are a new creation. And so because Christianity is not so much that it's just rules and you must never break them, but rather you are a new creation and we must live like it. So yes, Christianity is not about a bunch of rules. Yes, there's commandments and and things like that, but that's not the point. The point is, is that those things are defining what your life should be looking like as a Christian. It's not something that you're just aiming towards. It should be what's defining us as Christians is that we love one another, that we forgive those because we have been forgiven, that we Fill in the blank. Go read the Bible in the New Testament. This is defining who we are, not something that we're just striving to. It should be defining our conduct. But that's the good news, right, is that is we are being sanctified. And so it's a process. It's not just all of a sudden and then you just conquer this sin and you're just done with it and you just conquer this thing. Is that sometimes the Lord allows us to go through tests and allows us to go through trials so that we are being sanctified. That we are growing in our obedience because once again, it's easy to obey when life is easy. It's hard to obey when life is not. See, it is clear that to love God Call Jesus Lord, be a Christian, obedience is a must. You see, you know what your old ways left you with, right? You know what your old life looked like. You know what your old desires left you with. You know that nothing was enough for you, that you needed more things, more alcohol, more money, more whatever in your mind would fix your marriage, fix your job, fix your depression, fix your anxiety, fix you fill in the blank. You wanted more, 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 and it wasn't until your eyes were open to Jesus Christ that you realized that only he can fill that void that those created things could never do. So you want to fix your lack, you try to fix your lack of purpose, but it didn't work, and how do I know? Because you still want more. There's still more to be had, more to be done. And instead, when you pursue Christ, you realize you have everything you need in him. And then everything you do on earth, every person you love, every job you have are there to glorify him and not you. It becomes about him. You see, you make decisions based on what he wants for you and not what you want. So uh, I like to illustrate like this. So before I got married to Jamie... My schedule was my schedule, right? If it was, unless it was my, how to work my job, I pretty much did whatever I want, whenever I wanted, but then I got married and then it changed. So then my decisions changed, right? Where it's like now every decision I make, I then have to think about Jamie, right? So then Jamie is now, so I can't just leave and go on a trip, even if I have money, I have Jamie here, right? So then we got a dog, and it was a puppy. And so then every decision that we made as a couple was then affected by our puppy. We could only be gone for four hours at a time. So I would come home from work during lunch. I would be there before she got home, or she would beat me. And we had to make sure when we went on a trip, we can't just go on any trip, even though we're married, and our schedules work. Now we have to worry about a puppy. 
Well, then we had a kid, and his name's Elisha. And so now every decision we make of where we go, whether we can spend the night somewhere, whether, whatever it is, the way we spend our money, now Elisha. And then we had a second kid. And now, so you get the point. Every decision is now affected by Jamie, my dog, two kids, and now I've got another dog recently. So now every decision we make is now affected by all of these other people. And it should be the same way in the Christian life, is that every decision we make is not just what's best for us, but instead we think above our wife, above our husband, above our job, above our kids, and we think, what does, how will God be affected by this? How will my walk with God be affected by this? By me going here, how will it affect my relationship with God? By me buying this, how will it affect my dependence on God? By me not fill in the blank, how does it affect my relationship with God? And so now, as a Christian, every decision should be made around God first. And then you follow down the line of job, kids, family. And so God is offering to give you life not death, not boredom, not a boring life, not a meaningless life, but true life. Life that you don't keep wanting more, you don't keep trying to fix, you don't keep trying to look for things and everywhere and everything, and if something doesn't work the way that you want, you go to the next thing, go to the next girl, go to the next guy, go to the next church, is instead is God wants to give you life, true life, and that is what he's offering you today. And so how do we live this life? So in your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians chapter 3, follow along with me, I want you to read it. Read it along with me. So Colossians chapter 3. It's in the New Testament. So if you're looking, it's further on the right side in your Bible or in your scroll down towards the bottom if you're on your phone. Colossians 3. All right, we're going to be in verse 5, reading through verse 10. So the question is, how do we live this life? Colossians 3 verse 5 through 10 tells us this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. He says, put them away. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul is saying, we too once walked in these ways. We did. We did. Not anymore. Paul's saying you used to, which means it shouldn't define you now. And so we must put to death those things in our life. That's obedience. That's us being sanctified. That's us becoming more like Jesus, is putting to death the old self and instead putting on the new self, putting on Christ, his desires, his, his dreams for our life, not us. So let's go to Roman, or uh, I'll, this one will be on the screen. Romans 13, 13 through 14 says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to gratify its desires. So Paul is very affirming. He's saying put no provision for the flesh, nothing there to feed it because you know what that life looked like. You know what the ways that you two once walked and you know that it left you feeling empty and regret and pointless. So instead choose life. Romans 6 verse 12 tells us this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. One of my favorite quotes is this, either kill sin or it'll kill you. You either kill sin in your life, you either make no provision for your flesh to be gratified or it will kill you. Sin will bring you death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. This is why in Romans 8, it tells us this in verse 5 through 7. For those living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And then verse 12 through 15, it says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so Paul is saying, first off, you must live according to the Spirit. For if you live according to your flesh, you will die. If you try to make provisions for the flesh, you will die spiritually, not physical death. We will all die physically one day. But what he is saying is instead live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. Meaning this, you cannot put to death your sin by yourself. You cannot put to death your sin alone in your walk with God. You must rely on the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And not only that, but then God gave us a community of believers, the church, by which you can then have people help you in your struggles, in your walks. And this is why we say house church is so important because we do not know who you are by Sunday morning alone. We love that you visit here. We love that you're attending here. But we want you to, be, to flourish in your walk with Christ. We want you to be discipled. And so we must live by the Spirit. Because Paul wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about hell. You can't say you love Christ and then choose this world. It's a slippery slope that will send you straight to hell. Sin is a slippery slope because you give in to sin a little bit here and then it starts to deceive you. And then this bigger sin that you would have never done in your life then becomes easy. And then the thing that you never would have thought you ever would have done becomes even easier than these things. Why? Because sin eats away at you and the hole becomes bigger and you get blinded more and more that you're in sin. And so this is why today I tell you that Christ paid for that sin and you have life where you don't have to keep hiding and keep lying to cover up more lies, but instead that you would just be open and say, Lord, this is me because he knows who you are. He knows your deepest, darkest 
his secrets. He knows how prideful you are. He knows how, how greedy you are, how selfish we all are. And yet he pursues us all the more. And so this is why we must live and walk by the Spirit. So if you can turn to Galatians 5. This is the last big passage we'll look at today. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Starting in verse 16. Galatians verse 5. We're sorry. Galatians 5 verse 16. There you go. All right. Galatians 5 verse 16 tells us this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do, right? You want to know why you don't live the life you want to live? It's because you are feeding your flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You want peace in your life. You want joy in your life. You want self-control. You want any of these things that Paul just listened. You must live by the Spirit. Because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we must walk by the Spirit. Or as one translation says, keep in step with the Spirit. Remember, when Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days before he got tempted, is the Bible tells us that he was led by the Spirit. And so there in the leading of the Spirit, we will face temptation. You will face suffering. You will face hardship. But as we see with Jesus' life is that it leads to life. For us, it leads to eternal life. Not just for me, but for anybody who puts their faith in him. And so I go all over, you're probably like, man, you said a lot of passages today. I've read this much of the Bible in a long time. And this is why I tell you, and this is so, if you get to know me, this is my heart is that Romans 10 verse 17 tells us this, is that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I want your faith to grow. I want you to understand that the Bible is all one cohesive thing, that, we're, that what I showed you today is a bunch of different books of the Bible, yet all having one message, which is your hope, your assurance, and to love the Lord. And if you love the Lord, then you put to death the deeds of the flesh, that it's all one story. And so the reason why you lose the temptation. You want to know why you lose the temptation. You want to know why you're not growing in your life is because you don't know the Bible. Simple as that. You don't know the Bible because the Bible's clear. What does it say? If you want your faith to grow, it grows by hearing the word of Christ. And so we spend more time for things on this earth than we do building our relationship with the Lord. Jesus himself, as we have been studying, spent so much time with the Lord because he knew how evil and and just excruciating this world can be. He faced every temptation he could face and yet didn't give in. And until you realize that you've been starving yourself spiritually by not reading the word, by not praying... You will not see your need for, to eat scripture, to immerse yourself in it whatsoever. 
right? So, so imagine today is the only, like imagine one day a week, right? You pick your day. I'll let you pick any day. But imagine one day a week you eat one meal. And then you have a rigorous job. Or let's say you have kids. Or let's say you walk a lot. Oh, almost tripped there. You walk a lot. Whatever it is, right? Imagine you have one meal a week. And then you expect, imagine day six, you are going to be angry. You're going to be mean. You're going to be hangry. You're going to be, like, not fun to be around. And yet, you're also not going to have any energy. And you're not going to do anything well that you're supposed to. Right, and so the same thing, if you didn't catch it, is how many of us is we only eat on Sunday mornings, spiritually? That we only eat one time a week, and we wonder why we can't, we always give in to that temptation. We wonder why we can't forgive that person. We wonder why we can't love these people. We wonder why we're still struggling with the same thing. We wonder why our faith is so weak. It's because we're eating once a week. And understand that most Christians do this with their spiritual life. And they wonder why when bad things happen, they run to everything else but God. Because they don't know who God is. They want, and then, you, you want, then whose fault is it when things don't go the way intended is it's everybody else. It's the church, right? Church didn't check on me. And then, you know, God obviously isn't real because he didn't come through. And the fact is that God was working. You just didn't see it because you didn't even know what his hand looked like. You see, you cannot live on Sundays alone. You cannot live on the verse of the day. You cannot live on a chapter a day. You must eat so you can live. You must listen to the word. You must read scripture so you can live and thrive spiritually and to get to know your father because he wants to show you so many things. You want to know why Jesus lived the life that he did? It's because he knew the father. When he was tempted in the desert, he didn't come back with just some sort of leadership guru truths. He came back with scripture in the midst of temptation because he knew scripture. So another thing, you want to know why you lose to temptation, why you're not growing, is that your heart is set on this world, not on God. When Jesus rebuked Peter, he said this in Matthew 16, verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter wanted Jesus to live for Peter's sake, not for the sake of anything else. This is why Colossians 3, Paul tells us this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Another way you can say it is set your affections on things that are above. You see, the goal is that our affections are on God and not on this earth. And this is why in Matthew 16, verses 25 through 26, he tells us this, Jesus saying, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? As a Christian, you must die to yourself. You must count the cost of following Jesus. You can't choose a little of this world and a little of Jesus. It's all or nothing. It's Jesus or your money. It's Jesus or your career. It's Jesus or your family. It's Jesus or your politics. It's Jesus and you fill in the blank. It's either Jesus and everything or Jesus and you get nothing. Because you will suffer. You will lose arguments. You won't get your way. When following Jesus, but guess what? You get Jesus. And that's all you need. And the last thing, want to know why you lose the temptation, why you're not growing, 
You're not putting to death your flesh. You see, though we have this great assurance of our salvation, though I will preach assurance all day long, it does not give you a license to sin. It does not give you a point where it's just, hey, it's just one time, Kai. It's just one time. Let me just have a little fun. And it's like then you're missing the point of what Jesus did, the cost that he paid on your behalf. And so what you're doing is turning it into cheap grace when it was costly, when it costed him his life, his perfect life. And yet he didn't even say a word as he was headed to the cross for us that we may have what? assurance, once for all, no more sins needed, that we will be sanctified, justified, glorified, and not only that, but that we are being sanctified, that everything's going to work out. You name the illness, you name the, the tragedy, you name whatever, you tell me your whole life story, and God is using it for his glory and turning you more like Jesus because of that thing. So imagine this. You go home today, and when you go back, you walk in, and right outside your house, you, you see, like, this may be gross for some of you, but you may see, like, 30 cockroaches on your driveway. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And then you see all kinds of bugs, and you, like, try to run in so fast, and you get in, and you look, and you're like, there better not be any inside. And you're like, oh, okay. So you walk in, whether you have a foyer or a foyer, if you're, you know, fancy, or uh, you have a living room or you have a hallway, whatever it is. You walk in, and there's no bugs, and you're like, okay, good. But then you go to the kitchen and you start preparing meals and you open the fridge and like 20 fly out at you and you're like, what was that? And then you open a cupboard, try to get the bug spray and there's more there and then you're like, what is going on? So you're like, you know what, I got to go get my phone. You left it in the bedroom. So you go and you go to the bedroom and then you open up your drawer. Where, let's say you kept your phone there. Who does that? But let's just say for story's sake, you go there, you grab your phone and there's more bugs in there. Then you look on your bed, they're crawling out of your pillow and you're like, this is a mess. It's gross. So what is your first thought? One, you're getting out of there. Two, you're probably calling the fastest exterminator possible. And then three, you're most likely thinking, should I burn my house down at this point, right? Like, at any point, I need to get rid of this. And you're probably like, man, this, I don't know what he's saying. And so in this moment, right, is that you, some of you might burn the house down. But then when, he, when everything is done, right, you have to go home and you have to clean the mess. Let's say you don't burn the house. You throw away these old things that have made, and you find the source of it, the root of the problem. You're like, who put a pizza box, you know, under the bed or whatever it was. Maybe it was the kids. Maybe it was the dog, you know, or it was nobody. You know, nobody did it. Uh, but let's say you go and you find the source and you can get rid of it, right? And then you do everything possible to then in your life make sure no more pugs would ever be in that house again. And so the question you have to ask yourself today is this. Why don't we do the same thing with sin? Why don't we have the same disgust with the thing that put Christ on the cross? When's the last time you went through your life and saw every, tried to find the root of these issues, right? You're angry, there's a root to it. You can't forgive, there's a root to it. You can't fill in the blank, there's a root to this. You're addicted to that, there's a root to it. Is that, you know, we talked before, we like to blame everybody else in our life for our problems, but we have a major part in it as well. We chose to do that. We chose to drink, we chose to take that. We chose that lifestyle. And so when's the last time you went and cleaned all that stuff out? 
When's the last time you went and made sure that in that part of your life, when he says make no provisions, he's, you know, you know in my mind, it's make sure there's no more pizza boxes going to be left under there. Make sure there's no more mess going to be in there. Make sure that you look in your life and you're very thorough and you look what are the things that are causing these issues, these, these roaches in my life, this sin in my life, and how do I get rid of it is the exterminator was Christ Jesus, right? He came and he cleaned it, and that's probably one of the cheesiest illustrations possible, but he came in, cleaned your heart, fixed it. You are now being sanctified, and so now our job is to make sure that no more pizza boxes are ever there again. Our job is to make sure that we no longer chase after the things of this world that left us feeling empty and gave us no purpose whatsoever, but instead we pursue Christ because we know what that house looked like before he came. We know what it looks like now. And we know what it feels like to understand this forgiveness and love. Believer, you must kill sin in your life. And this is what it means to walk by the Spirit. Is by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. But here's the good news, right? Is that when you do sin, when you do mess up again, when you leave that pizza box again, when you fill in the blank, whatever it was again, is that say you choose the world, your faith is wavering, when you feel like God is distant, remember this, 1 John 1 tells us this. If we say we have no sin, deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then chapter 2, he says this. is one of my favorite things. He says, my little children. He says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, because John knows us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, meaning he took those sins on his back and suffered the wrath of God for us. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. This is what Jesus says. This is what John writes. And so here's some questions. We're going to respond, I know, a little bit longer than usual, but here's the first question to think about today. What needs to die in your life? What needs to die? Second question, are you disgusted with your sin or has sin become a pet in your life? Have you been starving yourself spiritually lately and wonder why the Christian life has been as difficult as it's been? And the last question, have you been walking in step with the Spirit? If you can stand with me today. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying Him and making disciples who make disciples.